Rod Olson. Today's Old Testament reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, beginning at verse 1. Listen for the word of God. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Today's gospel reading is from the Good News, according to Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 2. Listen for the word of God. When John heard in prison that the Messiah was doing what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you 
who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Come quickly, O oh Christ, we pray. Amen. That's not good. Don't worry. Don't panic. Just wait on the Lord. He will come to you, even when your pages are out of order. <laughs> so last week we all heard from John the Baptist. You remember him? John wearing a camel hair coat, long, straggly beard, subsisting on locusts and wild honey. John preaching repentance under the threat of divine judgment. John receiving confessions and, huge, and uh, huge crowds being baptized down by the riverside. John declaring that Jesus is the Messiah and coming with the Holy Spirit and fire. This week, though, John is behind bars, which is a little surprising maybe. Today, a guy like John might end up in the psych ward for a week, but here he is in prison. He's in jail. And he's not just in prison, he's on death row. Why? Well, he publicly criticized Herod Antiochus, the puppet king of Judea, because Herod married his brother's wife. Again, seems like a harsh outcome and not a big deal for us today, but it's a clear rupture of the law of God according to the Old Testament in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and broadly accepted social conventions at the time. And Herod figured as a wealthy and powerful king, he was above the law, so above the law that ordinary people, the law that ordinary people had to follow that he didn't have to follow it himself. So John held him and his bride to account and he ended up locked away, awaiting execution. Now, you might remember that when John was on the outside, he was pretty keen on Jesus. Jesus was greater than him, and John wasn't fit to tie his sandals. John proclaimed Jesus as the one sent by God who would come and finally set the world right, freeing it from the powers of sin and death. John was as sure as anybody that Jesus was the Messiah and the kingdom of God, that new age of justice, righteousness, and peace was finally to come, John was like, this is the guy. He's the one. Pay attention. Today, though, uh, John isn't quite so on fire for the Lord. From his prison cell, John slips this little note out 
to Jesus via some of his friends. And it doesn't read, keep it up, Jesus, or I'm with you all the way. No. Are you the one to come, it says. Are you the one who is to come, or were we to wait for another? His head's on the chopping block, and he's facing death. If Jesus was the Messiah, surely the one who prophesied his coming wouldn't be doing hard labor. If Jesus was the Messiah, the least he could have done was organize a jailbreak for John. John thought he'd be out there dispensing judgment, chopping people down like fruitless trees. But after all his faithfulness, his preparation, his hard work, and dedication to the cause, it looks like for John it's all going to end in chains and death. Therefore, the question, is Jesus really the one? No doubt John expected to see real change in his lifetime. It was easier to believe Jesus was the Messiah at the beginning when the future was all teeming with potential. But it looks mighty different from behind bars. From where he sits, John sits, it's all getting worse rather than better. So what kind of Messiah would let any of this type of stuff happen? John is doubting. He's doubting. And of course, John's doubt is perfectly understandable. It's easier to believe that Jesus is the Messiah in heady, the days, heady days of large crowds than in the brutality of solitary confinement. It's easier to believe in Jesus when things are good. In that way, John spells out quite simply the nature of faith. You may remember that in March of 2021, Pope Francis embarked on a tour of Iraq. You may know that since the Iraq War, the Christian community in Iraq has drastically shrunk from about one and a half million people to only about 300,000 Christians. Many have fled while others have succumbed to persecution by Islamic militants. And after visiting bombed-out mosques and churches on his tour, Francis said he had, quote, no words after seeing the scale of destruction. Human cruelty, he said, our cruelty is impossible to believe. Now, I remember reading this story online. And you know, online, you always have comment sections, right? <laughs> I thought people were going to boo because I would have booed for comment sections. Boo! One of the comments simply said, so much for God. So much for God. It's like in that movie with the, in the 60s. Where is your Messiah now, see? Now, I can't remember who said this particular comment, so much for God. Probably just another internet troll. But this comment did bring up a question. How can a community like this that have suffered so much continue to cling to their belief in a good and righteous God, a God of justice, one who works for good, for the good of those who love him? It was far easier to believe in a time of stability pre-war 
But if there's anything we learn from John the Baptist in today's text, doubt is inevitable from the vantage point of persecution. And you know, we don't have to experience the extremes of persecution to feel that way either. We can look at the world with its war and violence and wonder how God allows such things to happen. Even in our personal lives, the death of a child, a cancer diagnosis, I mean, it's easier to see the glory of the Lord in a rainbow, the face of a baby, or civil rights legislation. But it's so much harder to believe when our backs are right up against the wall. Or the future doesn't seem so bright. Whether it's from the vantage point of a bombed-out church or a prison cell or a broken marriage, it's far easier to say so much for God. It's easy to wonder, is Jesus the one who is to come? Or should we look elsewhere for our salvation, someplace more effective? Now, I'm not entirely sure what Jesus' response would be to this Facebook criticism. I mean, you can imagine, you know, Jesus of Nazareth typing in a little comment there. But my sense is that Jesus is the more, more the face-to-face type. But I can tell you the answer that he sent to John in prison. Go and tell John, Jesus says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Now here Jesus is invoking the prophet Isaiah from our Old Testament text for this morning. John, of course, would have recognized the words immediately from Isaiah. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. John would have understood exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, Yes. Yes, the hour has indeed come. Yes, the prophet's words are being fulfilled. They're coming true right here and now. God's kingdom has touched down. The time is at hand in me. In me, Jesus says, the new age has now dawned. John was the greatest prophet, even more than a prophet. He came in announcing the new age, but Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Blessed are those who take no offense at me. Jesus says that he is indeed the one who is to come. So no need to look for another. No need to look for another. Now it's clear that Jesus is saying, I'm the guy you've all been waiting for. But notice the signs. Certainly in the scriptures, Jesus healed the sick. And he gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, walking to those who could only crawl. He called Lazarus out of death in the tomb. He also fed the hungry. But not all of them. Not many of them, in fact. Jesus performed some incredible acts, but not many in the grand scheme of things. And he did it on the margins with people of low importance, 
You know, there was little fanfare across social media at what Jesus was doing. And in the end, he didn't topple Rome or usher in a new kingdom of Israel. But he was killed on a cross. Even the resurrection happened early in the morning to a couple of witnesses, unreliable witnesses, women of all people. None of these acts that have this grand decisive sweep that we might expect. And this is, in the end, the point. This is how God works. This is how God shows herself to us in the world. This is how God is making all things new, not through a shock and awe campaign hitting the world like a nuclear missile, nothing cataclysmic or revolutionary, but think of how Christ comes at Christmas. Angels come, but not to the king. They come to ordinary people, shepherds, just doing their job. Not to a palace in Jerusalem, but a barn in Bethlehem. And this is what the angels say. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is the sign. A baby. Here's how one of my favorite preachers, Fleming Rutledge, puts it. The mystery of God's activity in the world is that the tiny signs of faithfulness and love and mercy and hope, the tiny signs enacted by the Christian community are the pointers to the glory that will come when the Lord takes his power to himself. This is not the way I would have done it. It's not the way you would have done it. It's not the way John would have done it either. No wonder we take offense. You and I would have made it obvious so that it would have stunned everybody and made arguments and questioning irrelevant. But the glory of the Lord, which one day will break over the universe in a crescendo of song from the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, that glory is secreted for the time being in the small deeds and little prayers of the church of God. That is the way that God planned it for reasons we will someday understand in the kingdom of God. God's work is largely hidden, visible only to those who be given the eyes to see. All these signs are small, but they are small signs. They are signs. They point past themselves in the direction of the total healing and peace that will one day come. You see, to see them is a matter of faith. We need to know how to look. As in John's case, it's not the way any of us would like or expect. This is why Jesus says, Blessed are those who take no offense at me. He expects that we will take offense at him, that we will find it easier to say so much for God and harder to believe. But if we're able to see these wondrous works as signs, then we'll fi find ourselves blessed and encouraged rather than depressed and discouraged. Back to 
Pope Francis's visit to Iraq. You know, there he visited a church in Karakash, a Christian town on the Nineveh Plains. This is, was the site of a violent back, and forth, of violent back and forth warfare, and the city was occupied and brutalized by the Islamic State. The local Christian community still lives in constant fear of another occupation. If there ever were a fertile place for doubt, this place was it. I mean, is Jesus the one who is to come? They might wonder, or should we wait for another? And yet, when Francis visited, the children, children lined the aisles in excitement for the Pope's visit. And his words were incredibly hopeful. He didn't say, get out while you still can. His answer was like the one Jesus gave John. Our gathering today, the Pope said, our gathering shows that terrorism and death never have the last word. The last word belongs to God and his Son, the conqueror of sin and death. Even amidst the ravages of terrorism and war, we can see with the eyes of faith, the triumph of life over death. Today, he proclaimed, today I can see at first hand that the church in Iraq is alive and that Christ is alive and at work in this, his holy and faithful people. Today I can see at first hand that the church in Iraq is alive and that Christ is alive and at work in his holy and faithful people. Now remember, this is a community that has shrunk to a fifth of its size over the last two decades, a community that's met persecution and death, but Francis told them what he saw. With the eyes of faith, Francis said, they would be blessed to see their survival, their endurance, their life, not as a source of a despair, but as a sign of Christ's healing, resurrecting presence. Their hopeful willingness to gather in spite of the possible danger was a sneak preview of God's final victory to come. The wilderness springing forth and blossoming in joy. And the good news, brothers and sisters, is that signs of Christ's power and presence and kingdom are all around us, though they're largely hidden. They're visible to the eyes of faith. They're all around. Look for them and you'll see. The incredible witness of Iraqi Christians is one place, but also here in our own community, in our own backyard, in Sandwiches for the Hungry in prayers for the hopeless and hurting, in visits for the lost and lonely, addictions overcome and forgiveness proclaimed, in grace extended and broken hearts mended, and even the occasional strange miracle. Let all these things, in Isaiah's words, strengthen your weak hands and make firm your feeble knees. Let them bring you hope. Let them stoke in you faith and courage, because these are signs of the one who came at Christmas with healing in his wings, and the one who is to come again on the last day to finish what he started and finally bring his exiles home. Look for the signs. Look for them, and tell your friends and neighbors what you hear and you see. Tell those who are sick and weary and without hope. Tell them, be strong, 
Do not fear. Here is your God. He will come and save you. Tell them that one day the ransomed of the Lord shall return, and they shall come to Zion with singing, and that everlasting joy shall be upon your heads and theirs. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away forever and for good. Go and tell them the good news of the gospel. Four, like Francis said, the last word belongs to God and his son, the conqueror of sin and death. And to him be all glory, honor, and praise in the church throughout the world forevermore. Amen. stand for our hymn of the day, Voices United, Five, All Earth is Waiting. 